a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. 106 is the time here in the KSL newsroom. Uh, You and I are in this together here today. We are learning uh, details uh, of things that are happening throughout this state, and they're coming at us fast and furious, just like the wind as it blows uh, throughout this beautiful state. We are right now uh, in a relative lull. Uh, right? The winds have died a bit. You might hear it whipping outside and say, uh, Lee, I, not so fast, not where I live. Uh, well, well, the smart folks, the meteorologists, they say this morning hit us real heavy. Right now, uh, midday, we're in a bit of a lull. But tonight, uh, tonight, there's a good chance, uh, at least as the forest casters predict it, that we're going to see uh, these picked up winds uh, again. So what does that mean? How do we uh, how do we strategize our approach to today knowing that uh, tonight it's only going to rear its windy head again. Well, uh, it it goes back to the conversation we had earlier uh, with Spencer Hall uh, from Rocky Mountain Power. Uh, He said, uh, you know, we right now have uh, trees that are down, and it's uh, there are lines that are covered by trees, there are lines that have been taken down by trees, and it is our instinct as Utahns to get out there uh, and help one another and look to uh, remove some of this debris, uh, get the brush out of the driveway, off the sidewalk, maybe off from uh, atop the car parked in the driveway. Uh, but uh, the advice given by everyone we have thus far heard from today on this program and elsewhere uh, and beyond is to wait, okay? Uh, let's let's wait for the winds to die down uh, before our charitable nature kicks in. There are still ways uh, that we can look out for one another, and some of these tips come from uh, Centerville. I want to point out the mayor of Centerville has, uh, just within the last half hour, signed a declaration of emergency for Centerville City. Mayor Wilkinson, you heard Spencer Cox, Lieutenant Governor, uh, talk about uh, expecting to receive a number of these declarations from municipalities around the state, uh, all of that leading to what is predicted to be uh, a declaration of a state of emergency statewide. Uh, That allows us to unlock certain, or gain access, rather, to certain federal resources. But uh, tracing that backwards, uh, Centerville City, uh, the mayor, has signed a declaration of emergency, and the police department in Centerville has just moments ago uh, put out some advice uh, which is applicable to uh, the wind is no respecter of municipal boundaries. All right. Uh, so this advice uh, really does uh, apply uh, wherever you find yourself on the receiving end of uh, of these wind gusts. Uh, and I'll just read through a few of them here uh, quickly. Guidance for Centerville residents. Uh, apply that wherever the wind's blowing. Please stay home and away from windows. If possible, even after wind dies down to allow road access and cleanup by emergency crews. Uh, although the wind will gradually decrease toward the evening, it is projected that it will begin increasing uh, before it ends by noon tomorrow. Power may be out for the next uh, few days. Rocky Mountain Power predicted about 24 hours. 
this may be the case for longer. This means, according to uh, the Centerville guidance, that furnaces and air conditioners will not be working. Now, this is an important one uh, because the, the, the heartbreaking reality is that oftentimes during prolonged periods of power outage, uh, that there are, the, there are some who uh, fall victim to carbon monoxide poisoning. So the advice, if you have an alternative heat source, be sure it is safe to use indoors. Do not use portable heaters uh, that consume oxygen or produce carbon monoxide. Another tip, identify any persons in your area with special needs, such as those using oxygen, and assist them as appropriate. All right, so that advice is uh, good for anyone. All right, Uh, and uh, let me tell you, we're going to take an early break right now uh, because uh, in just a moment uh, after the commercial break, we'll be joined uh, by state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn. We are knocking on the door of flu season. Yeah, again, again. All right, the last 12 months have flown by. <clears throat> and this year, there's the added complication of the pandemic. How do we battle COVID and the flu all at once? We'll find out from Dr. Dunn next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. In a few minutes, we'll be joined by state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn. As you heard me say before the break, we're knocking on the door of another flu season. It feels like uh, just a few days ago uh, that we were debating flu, and that's all we had on our plate at the time. And then COVID showed up. So what happens as we move into a flu season that involves both, uh, well, the flu and also uh, this pandemic that you and I are fighting? Before we get to that conversation, uh, and I can see the, the phone connection being made right now across the glass, I'm joined in studio by Kira Hoffelmeyer. You heard also before the break, there was, according to Centerville Police, uh, the declaration of an emergency signed by uh, the mayor of Centerville, uh, Clark Wilkinson. Kira just got off the phone with the mayor who's moving into uh, a meeting. What what did you learn about what the mayor has done in this meeting he's entering? So basically, yes, he did sign this declaration of emergency, which gives any city that would do this, any county, any city, any state, access to emergency management funds, FEMA funds. So basically, the city of Centerville doesn't know how much damage there is at this point. Obviously, the storm is still ongoing. It's not supposed to necessarily get entirely better until tomorrow afternoon. So they make this declaration in order to say, hey, post this happening. We need this amount of funds to be able to, you know, take care of trees, help people with their damaged roofs. We saw pictures of somebody with a tree through their roof. Um, And it also, in some cases, can give the mayor specific powers to be able to do something without having to go through the nuances of a city council vote. All right. And he's moving into a meeting with the with the council right now to work out some details. And yeah, such. he said he's going to hash it out with them for a couple of hours and then we'll be available to maybe chat again around three thirty four o'clock. All right. Very good. Kira Hoffman, thank you so much. I, my, my prediction is this, uh, that municipali- municipalities around the Wasatch Front and beyond will be uh, will be signing uh, similar declarations of emergency. This thing has uh, just knocked us upside the head. There are a lot of trees out there, a lot of power uh, lines on the roads right now, a lot of cars smashed and a lot of roofs damaged. Uh, So we'll get to that information as soon uh, as we have it. Right now, I'm honored to be joined by the state epidemiologist for the great state of Utah, someone you have come to know very well throughout this pandemic, Dr. Angela Dunn. Dr. Dunn, thank you for joining us. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you. The 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 first time you and I spoke, it was all the way back early February. Uh, we were just starting to hear these news reports about this about this virus, this new this novel coronavirus. Uh, and, and you were explaining to me the differences between the coronavirus and the the flu. And here we are uh, again as we knock on the door of the dawn of a, another flu season. Uh, w- what advice 
do people uh, need to have as they gear up to battle the flu while at the same time continuing to battle the coronavirus? Yeah, I mean, it has been a roller coaster. Um, and I think the biggest thing that we can do is get our flu vaccine. We really don't want to test our hospital capacity by having to deal with COVID cases and flu cases at the same time. And we're fortunate enough to have a flu vaccine to protect us mostly against getting the flu. So that's the number one thing individuals can do. And the others are, of course, things we're, we're already doing, you know, staying home when we're sick, using good hand hygiene, wearing a face mask when we're out in public, and, of course, staying home when we're sick. The, the CDC has recently put out this uh, kind of document of uh, the flu versus the coronavirus, COVID, uh, and it walks through the, the various symptoms. In terms of symptoms, uh, many could stem from either the flu or COVID. Are, are, are there symptoms, to, to your knowledge, that are specific to either disorder? You know, COVID and the flu can seem very, very similar, especially in the, the early stages of the diseases. So that's why it's so important that if anyone has any you know, respiratory symptoms, if they feel fatigued, have a headache, a sore throat, a cough, they should really go get tested for both COVID and flu. And those types of testing capacities are, are coming to our healthcare systems um, so that you can be tested for both and, and get your results fairly quickly so we know which one you have and, and how to treat you best. C- capacity is not a problem as, as we, you know, potentially double double the influx of those uh, looking for testing. We, we have the capacity to test for the flu at these high numbers and also uh, continue our, our ability to test for COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we haven't even, you know, gotten close to our capacity for COVID testing. And every year we have a flu outbreak. I mean, a flu pandemic. It comes every fall. And so, we are prepared for that as well because it's something we deal with every year. Now, we know that we're entering the flu season. That historically has been a time where you know many more people get the flu. Uh, is there a chance that due to our, say, physical distancing and the hand washing and the masks, is there a chance that the, that the flu is suppressed in at least its transmission this year? Yeah, you know, we have some really good data coming out of the Southern Hemisphere, which is going through their flu season right now. And they have actually seen a huge decrease in the amount of flu spread um, throughout those countries. And that's because of the prevention measures that are being taken for COVID. Um, So, you know, hand washing, staying home when you're sick, physical distancing, those work for flu as well. So we're hoping here in Utah we see the same trend with low flu numbers. Has that, uh, you know, at least in terms of your own observations or studies coming in from elsewhere, has that proven to be true with other contagious diseases? Um, So any disease that is spread by droplets, so any respiratory disease, the common cold, the flu, or the ones we typically deal with, um, will be prevented by the measures that we're taking for COVID. Um, So generally the fall, we call it respiratory virus and flu season because we all kind of get these, you know, chronic coughs or feel, you know, pretty tired or might have a fever. And that can be due to a number of viruses, but these prevention measures will help. Fascinating. Uh, here's a question that I've had, and I've been wondering about this for a long time, and uh, likely what's about to happen is I'm about to reveal my uh, my immense ignorance in the field of medicine. But as we have been safeguarding ourselves against the, the spread of the coronavirus now for months and months, I, I imagine that that's also prevented us from uh, coming in contact with other germs, uh, giving our uh, immune systems a, a break. Now, uh, is that break a good thing, or, or does our immune system need a workout? Is there a chance that once COVID is behind us, 
uh, and that we find uh, our immune system isn't as prepared as it was pre-COVID. Does, does that make sense? Can, can, can yeah, our, can I mean, our immune system atrophy? Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to clarify. Can our, can our immune system atrophy if we don't use it? Yeah, so I see where you're coming from. You know, that's not going to happen this quickly. Um, you know, six months, even a couple of years is a really short time frame concerning our okay. immune system. If if we already have, that's assuming, you know, we come into this with fully developed immune systems. Not everyone is, is as fortunate as that. But for the vast majority of us, our immune systems will stay intact and, and continue to protect us against um, other common germs and illnesses once we are able to go back to our routines um, and come into close contact with others more frequently. That's good. That's very encouraging. Uh, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, l- let's go back for a moment to to flu shots and getting vaccinated for the for influenza. Uh, schools are, are in session. There are many districts which uh, have students meeting face-to-face regularly, uh, and the numbers don't indicate that everyone gets a flu shot. What's your What's your plea to those uh, parents or students or teachers or anyone uh, who finds themselves in the school setting uh, who may be reluctant to get a flu shot? Yeah, I mean, we typically have around 40% uptake for flu vaccines in the state of Utah, and we really need to get above 60% this year to make sure that our hospitals maintain the capacity to care for individuals with COVID, with severe flu, and other illnesses throughout the fall. And so I think it's really important for everyone to really reconsider why they aren't getting a flu shot. Um, And if they are medically able to get a flu shot this fall, now's the time to get it. It's not the time to seek exemptions for um, other reasons. We really need it to not only protect ourselves, but also our community. And those individuals who, who can't get a flu vaccine because their immune systems are not fully developed, either due to an illness or because they're newborns. Um, so by all of the rest of us getting our flu vaccine, we will be protecting um, our most vulnerable community members. Not, not, not to stir up doom and gloom, but what, what are the consequences of falling short? You know, um, again, what we're really trying to do is protect our hospital capacity at this point. Um, Every year, our hospital systems are stretched thin during flu season um, because it's such a common virus and people can fall seriously ill from it. So we really don't want to test that capacity by throwing COVID on top of it um, because that could throw us over the top and we might have to start rationing care. And we don't want to get there, especially when we know we can prevent the flu with a vaccine. So we should take every measure we can to to prevent it. And it's as simple as going to your pharmacy. I mean, you can get it right now. Um, It's never too early to get the flu vaccine. You can go into your local pharmacy and get it for free. So people should start taking those measures now. You mentioned rationing of care. Uh, my understanding is that we have not even flirted with uh, with levels, uh, with testing the capacity to a point where we'd need to be considering that. But I do know uh, that the, the name of the game is preparation, being ahead of things. Uh, are, have there been uh, rationing plans at least outlined and filed away in the unlikely uh, and unfortunate event should they arise? Yeah, of course. I mean, this is something... Um, public health has done pre-COVID, um, working closely with our healthcare partners in order to determine if we do need to ration care, what would that look like? We actually did take measures here in the state of Utah early in this pandemic by stopping elective procedures. Um, if you guys remember, I think that was in the spring, although my sense of time is a little off now, but yeah, right. 
um, all of our healthcare systems got together and said, you know, it's not worth it to do elective procedures at this point. We need to save the personal protective equipment um, in case we do have a run on um, COVID cases. Thank so we've you. already started implementing some of those measures here, and it, it served us well, but we certainly don't want to have to even go back to shutting down elective procedures, and we can all play a part in that by getting our flu vaccine. The, the seven-day rolling average for positive uh, cases of the coronavirus has been hovering in the in the high 300s, low 400s. Right now, the recent data, 420 per day. Um, uh, I see also in, in this data released today by the Department of Health that there are currently 115 uh, hospitalized. As I look back over the numbers, that's a, that's a relatively low number for the past number of months. Uh, w- w- what's contributing to those lower levels of hospitalization? I know we are really fortunate to be seeing a drop in our hospitalizations. And when we look at all of our data together, what we're seeing are younger individuals getting infected with COVID-19 mm-hmm. than previously. And we know that younger individuals are less likely to have severe COVID-19. So that 15 to 24-year-old range has seen a spike um, in cases, and they're not the ones getting hospitalized. So what we really need to make sure is that they don't infect um, more at-risk populations. So if you're 15 to 24, even though you might not get severe COVID-19, you still need to be really sure you're not giving it to someone who could. Those who, who historically had been making up the higher numbers of those hospitalized, uh, those were likely the, the, old, the more elderly uh, sections of the population, those uh, at higher risk. Uh, are, are they somehow being, uh, you know, sa- are, are they employing more strict standards or are they safeguarding themselves at a, at a, you know, in a more effective manner? Yeah, you know, we haven't, we don't really have any, like, good, really, data like behavior, on yeah. that. I mean, if, yeah, of course, all of our messaging has been, you know, if you're at high risk, make sure that you're, you know, taking extra caution to not be exposed to COVID-19. But really what we're seeing is that this is a community issue. We're all interconnected. Um, what happens in the general community eventually falls to our at-risk population and our long-term care facilities. So what's really important is that no matter who you are or your risk, you know, you really should make sure you're taking the precautions to prevent COVID-19 spread so that eventually we can get through this and, and limit the amount of unnecessary illness and death. Last question I'll ask you. It comes from Twitter. Uh, late last week, I saw a tweet going around. There have been some T-shirts printed up that say, I heart Dr. Dunn. Uh, I saw that uh, <laughs> some members of your family are hoping to get their hands on some. Were you able to make those connections? Yeah, absolutely. My mom and my grandfather are very excited. They do not live in the state of Utah. So whoever created that T-shirt will have notoriety beyond the borders. <laughs> did you? Did, could you have ever imagined at the dawn of this year when you woke up January 1, 2020, that, uh, that in the month of September there'd be I Heart Dr. Dunn shirts being printed up? No, and that is not something I wished for, but I'm glad it's supportive <laughs> and not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, listen, you, you deserve the shirts. Uh, thanks for your work. Thanks for coming on, uh, having a chat with us here today. Best of luck to you. All right, bye-bye. All righty. Uh, we are going to take a break here, and when we return, just after the newscast, we're going to uh, be speaking with Grant Wayman, KSL Television meteorologist, to get exactly uh, a sense of what is coming. We're right now in the midst of a relative lull. I'm talking about the wind, all right? It blew around all morning, knocked down trees all over the state. Uh, My wife's favorite city park has got trees toppled over. Uh, We're getting a break right now. The wind is expected to return. We'll get the details next from Grant Wayman on KSL. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is Live Mike. I'm Dave Cauley. 
investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.